0: Thank you so much for joining us back on the Trojan Talk podcast. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, and obviously your host for the show. And as I promised on the last podcast, we are now transitioning to full football mode, pedal to the metal. We are freshly back from Las Vegas from Pac-12 Media Day. Had a little bit of an issue with my car in the scorching surface of the sun like heat, but we made it back. And on Thursday, we will be out at campus for USC's own in-house media day where we will talk to all of the assistant coaches and about half the roster. So that should be a very fruitful day and a very full content day on TrojanSports.com. I'll have myself out there as well as Jeff McCullough and Matt Moreno with the full TrojanSports.com team there to get you all the highlights from USC's in-house media day and then Friday morning 6:30 a.m. it gets going the first practice of fall camp again USC starting about a week earlier than most teams because they play a week earlier than most teams with that week 0 season opener against San Jose State on August 26th so camp starts earlier than normal it starts Friday but we have already started flooding the site with content for you to get amped for camp. And if you aren't already, maybe you will be after this podcast. Not a lot to say at the top of the show. Real quick, I need to acknowledge the very scary incident Monday for USC men's basketball as freshman guard Bronnie James sustained a cardiac arrest event on the court during a summer workout and had to be taken by ambulance to a hospital. Per reports, by Tuesday, he was out of the intensive care unit and stable per a statement released by his family. Obviously, the Trojans have been through this before, incredibly just last year with Vince Iwuchukwu, who went into cardiac arrest last July and made a remarkable recovery, ended up playing in 14 games, but very serious, very serious medical Situation and everyone's different. So we're not going to speculate on anything regarding Bronny James, his future, his status, the cause, because we don't know anything, and it's dangerous to speculate. So all we can say is that, thankfully, he's stable and okay. And, again, the USC basketball staff, training staff, was prepared to handle the situation as it happened, as they were last year with Vince Iwajuku. And now we'll just wait and see what happens. And we'll just acknowledge that at the top of the show. And then get into the programming, which is all football content. We have two guests today. Two familiar guests to the show. Two popular guests on the show. Whenever they come on, I hear, let's get them back on the show. And so here they are. Uh, We have the Los Angeles Times' Brady McCullough, who is their kind of guru for all college sports, kind of a college sports columnist, feature writer, really good resource for anything happening in college football. And he was at Pac-12 Media Day with me. And so we talked about that and his takeaways from his one-on-one interview with Lincoln Riley and how he came away from that event pretty swayed by the Trojans' potential this year. We also talk about Caleb Williams' quest for a second Heisman He's vying to become only the second player in college football history to win two Heismans. Ohio State running back Archie Griffin from way back when would be the only other one who's done it, or the only one who's done it so far. Caleb has a very good chance to join that elite club, exclusive club. Brady and I talked about his chances for that, and really who else is even in the picture in terms of an obvious preseason candidate. And then we bring on Antonio Morales from The Athletic, USC beat writer, good friend of the show, great reporter. We go over his takeaways from Pac-12 media day. And then he and I set the stage for fall camp. The individual storyline that is most intriguing to us, the position group that is most intriguing to us, the player who's the most under the radar and not being talked about enough. So we had a really good discussion not much debate because we were really on the same page in a lot of ways, but a good discussion. That should have set the table well for the start of fall camp on Friday. And just lastly, I'm gonna start with this actually. We're gonna lead off the show with this. When I got my one-on-one time with Lincoln Riley Friday in Las Vegas, I really wanted to get in depth about the announced plans for the Football Performance Center, the new USC football complex that would be basically at the base of the practice fields. it would be a three-story building a lot more space than the Trojans have now, a bunch of newer features that are currently missing from the McKay Center. I talked to Lincoln for about, I don't know, seven, eight minutes, just about that. And I just want to let you hear that interview in full. I posted a story on trojansports.com from that interview, but I thought there'd be value in letting you just hear it straight from, from Riley. And so we'll play that interview at the start, and then we're going to bring in Brady McCullough and then Antonio Morales And then that should be a nice full show, and you should be properly amped for camp. It should be trademarked, amped for camp. It's catchy. I'm going to write that down. Anyways, here we go. Here is Lincoln Riley talking to yours truly at Pac-12 Media Day about the football performance center that is presently in the design stage, I guess, what it's going to entail, when it might be done, et cetera, et cetera. Here we go. All right, the new football complex is being, being built. Yep. You call it a game changer for the program. Yep. What does it add that we're really missing?
1: A lot, a lot. Um, you know, I think I, first, I think the first area that we're really excited about is going to be the sports. Uh, I can't the sports science, uh-huh. uh, recovery, obviously you know, technology and research and, and all of that have changed so much and you know, we're in a city where a lot of the cutting edge uh, work in those fields are done in our area and we've got that to take advantage of and I think having a space that you can design with all of that in mind, not only what's here now but what's kind of coming ahead in the future is, was really important to us and being able to give our guys the best opportunity to train, the best opportunity to recover um, yeah. because it is is—it's that, that that area as much as anything within a football building and and the what's available the resources have changed so much i mean just drastically and uh we want our players to be able to have the best facility on the planet to recover and train um i think i think being able to to showcase uh, the history of this program is important Um, i think when you walk in our facility people ought to walk in and, and say, wow, this is the facility of one of the greatest college football programs yeah. of all time. And uh, and I think that's important of I'm honoring the past and all the great teams and all the great players and all the history. And But you got to have space and you got to have a really well thought out plan to make that come to life. Um, so that's really important. Uh, staff sizes yeah, have course. changed drastically. Always changing. Uh, yeah, always. And I think a facility now that 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 helps make that work. Um, with that, I think you know meeting rooms, uh, meeting room sizes uh, are, are certainly going to be a big part of it. Uh, the, a, an updated locker room that, that gives our guys uh, you know, what they need, and then obviously, I mean, I think adding the second practice field mm-hmm. is a is a huge part of this. I mean, no no doubt about it. Uh, just the. Um, Efficiency of practice, you know, people don't realize. Like you, you transition in practice. <clears throat> like I say, we, you know, we transition guys across the street and go over to, uh, you know, like to Bredingham. Yeah. Like that's five minutes. You don't you don't get to turn the clock off then. Like that's five minutes that <clears throat> if you don't have that, you're working. And if you do that a couple of times a week. You just and then you, and over the course of a year, that, that stuff adds up, yeah. and it's all you're looking for every every advantage you can possibly get. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be great. You know, we've had a chance. We've been we've been working on it for a while um, in terms of the design. And I think it helps that we've had we have people on our staff that were part of builds from some of the most some of the best college football facilities in the country and so it's been fun kind of taking all of that knowledge within our staff uh, and then working with people at sc working with some of the the people outside that we're going to bring in to help and um, and i think the other thing that we really want to take advantage of with it is going to be the the outdoor space i mean we have the best climate in the country and we can just simply do some things uh, around uh, Potentially on top of, I mean, that, we can do so many things. Open air as well, and we've got some really cool ideas and concepts uh, to take advantage of that. So, um, no, it's going to be it's going to be fabulous. What kind of sports science stuff do you have now? We've got a we've got a decent area, uh, certainly down in our training room, and our, our guys have worked hard to to add some uh, to, to update equipment um, and. So ours is ours is certainly functional mm-hmm. right now, but we want to go from functional and, and good yeah. to to elite and um, and like I said, whether that's uh, somebody that's recovering from an injury, uh, whether that's. Uh, you know, there's been a lot now, you know, within facilities of, you know, sleep pods and cryo chambers and all the different ways that you can, that you can rest or that you can recover. you got to have room for those things, and you got to have facilities that were designed to have those things in there, and, uh, and there's so much. I mean, we're enlisting uh, help from some of the, the, the top facilities, certainly in our area, which are some of the best in the world, uh, to help us put it together. How
0: much is it? The recruiting piece as well.
1: Uh, it's a that's a that's definitely a, a big part of it. I mean that's, I mean that's that's your home. I mean that's that's where you're going to spend so much time. And listen, like any facility for any business in the world, when you walk in the front door, it, it ought to you oughta be able to tell that that place takes an incredible amount of pride in what they do. And then you're walking in the doors of something really really special. And um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean I think it's you look at you know to me I I look at it from the recruiting side of you know we have one of the great stadiums in the sport Uh, USC put a lot of resources into that to to update it and modernize it um, and it's phenomenal we have one of the best educations in the sport we have one of the best histories in the sport and right now we don't have one of the best facilities in the sport. And if you're gonna, if you wanna be the best, then you have to check all these boxes and you have to make progress. And I think this is another another box we can check and say, uh, a person's gonna walk into our facility here, you know, in the near future and say, you know, say, wow, one, it, one it, these people take a lot of pride in USC football and two, I'm going to be given every advantage I could possibly imagine here to succeed.
0: How much was this discussed before you took the job? Were there actual promises put in place to do this kind of stuff?
1: Uh, it, was, it, was, it was discussed and uh, it was certainly, I don't want to get too many specifics, but it, but it was certainly a major factor in mm-hmm. the whole thing coming together. When you, when you got to campus for the first time, were you surprised by the facilities?
0: Was it different than what you expected?
1: No, I mean, I knew I knew the facilities were not, um, you know, were not in the top tier of college football um, in terms of the, uh, the day-to-day facility. Yeah. Um, I, I knew that coming in. I'd never been on campus, but I, I mean, uh, just being in college football, you kind of know. Mm-hmm. You kind of know who, who has it and who doesn't. And um, so, no, I would surprise. I think when I came in, it was more, I knew we were going to, I knew we were going to build a new one at some point, and so I wasn't really focused on what we had or didn't have. It was just, all right, how do we make this work right now? And we just went to work and found a way. Is there a target date for it? Is it going to displace anything you do in the meantime? You, uh, you know, that's where we're fortunate is, is you know, we're not building it on our current facility, mm-hmm. you know, so it's I, I don't believe it's going to displace us a whole lot. Obviously, there's going to be some construction done down there where the, uh, where the turf field is yeah. now. So um, it, we may have to, to get creative in terms of practice during certain parts of the year. Um, yeah, uh, dates are probably a little bit too premature. Sure. I mean, just right now, everybody, you know, you're still kind of coming off COVID and supply chain and all that is a little unpredictable. But, I mean, it's it's – it's going to happen much sooner rather than later. I can tell you that. I mean, it's it's aggressively moving forward in all directions. Thank you so all much, brother. You Always got it. appreciate it. Anytime.
0: All right, back on to the show. Great friend of the podcast. Great friend of the podcast host and great reporter, writer, and guru for all things college football at the Los Angeles Times. Brady McCullough. Brady, how's it going?
2: Going great, Rhino.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you are on for a reason today, and there will be many reasons throughout the fall while we will hope to have you on. But on this day, it's because of a column you wrote from Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, from the Pac-12 Football Mini Day, where you concluded your piece, very fine piece, great read. I encourage everyone to read it. Not to spoil the ending, but you concluded it by saying USC is going to win the Pac-12 and make the college football playoff semifinals for the first time in 2023. By doing so, the Trojans will remind the entire country of their importance. Brady, as uh, someone who rode the same car with you to Las Vegas, I I know you weren't totally there on the way over, but you talked with Lincoln Riley for a good bit after his main stage appearance. What swayed you? How did Lincoln Riley sway you into convincing you that his Trojans are going to be a college football playoff team this year?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. It is. It is funny just to rechart the the journey that I went on, the whirlwind journey. So you and I are in the car and you know, looking for things to talk about uh, after a few hours. You know, and yeah, I just I don't, we brought up USC and like I knew they had a really tough schedule. And that was the reason I was holding back. I remember looking at the schedule last year even and seeing they were going to have to win at Notre Dame. They were going to have to win at Oregon. You know, you're hosting Washington and Utah. Utah, a team you lost to twice, you know, last season, obviously a tough matchup for USC. And I just thought it was it's going to be too much. And I was really focused on the road games. But talking with you, You know, and you laying out the way that they improve their depth along the defensive line, uh, the linebacker core, you know, and just letting that soak in. And then I think they could get they could get one of those two on the road. I mean, Oregon's got replacing a lot of guys. You, You once again, you know, reminded me that they've got, I guess, one returning offensive lineman. Yep. You know, the, the crystal ball, you know, power run game, you know, all of that stuff that they were building there is now, uh, you know, a whole, whole season away and the way their program's built. And Notre Dame's a total question mark at this juncture under Marcus Freeman. So, I okay, they can get one of those on the road, hold down the collie. Sorry, you you kind of had me going there. And then I was, you know, listening to Lincoln Riley and, I was just struck um, at the press conference about that he continued to go. And, you know, I don't know if I just, you know, want to be, you know, um, kind of revved up
0: for the season.
2: But he got me going with talking about the importance of USC, not just for – not even just the West Coast, but all of college football and how – you know when they're going into the transfer portal. Now, some of this I know is is some really, really well laid out coach speak. But, you know that they're looking for people who saw the same opportunity that he did uh to you know a year and a half ago, uh, which is to come to USC, where he lays out it's a it's like a, a privilege to coach here. It's a it's an honor. It's a it's a responsibility that he clearly. Uh, wanted, which is to return this program to what it's supposed to be and what the West Coast needs it to be and what all of college football needs it to be. You know, college football needs USC to be great because USC is the easiest path for there to be more of a balance of power across the country. There's no coincidence that the last time the SEC wasn't the dominant conference, USC was out here dominating on the West Coast. Ever since USC fell off and stopped making the national championship game, the SEC took over, and we' still we're still living in that world. And when I asked Lincoln about it again later, I just wanted to really see what he was you know what he meant by importance. And I just think um, I'll, you know you can read the column, but, but but basically, I just was struck by the respect and the reverence that he has for the job, and obviously was very impressed last season with the turnaround. And this is a long-winded answer, but I think then when you look at the rest of the country, top teams, only one of the main teams that's you know going to be you know projected as a college football playoff team, other than USC, has a returning quarterback with some merit and some some proof in the in the pudding, and that's you know JJ McCarthy of Michigan. USC, I mean Georgia has no quarterback. Returning with any with any experience, they lose Stetson Bennett, and if people think that's not a big deal, and they're they're very much wrong. Ohio State comes back without C.J. Stroud. They're they're going to be a work in progress at that position. You know, in the early parts of the season, you know they don't even know who their starters are going to be. Alabama, no Bryce Young. They've got a total two quarterback job, wide open quarterback competition. Um, Tommy Reese running that offense. Uh, I'm not I'm not sold on that. And USC has freaking Caleb Williams coming back at quarterback. I mean, it, it's the most important position on the field. It's a quarterback's world, and and so yeah, how how could we not think that USC under those those circumstances is not going to end up one of the top four? Have, have that one of the top four resumes at the end of the season if they can just swing one of those road games and hold down the collie? So that, it, it was all of those things together, and just actually, you know. Getting into the mode of thinking about this
0: stuff again. Well, a lot I'm going to get to with that. And we're going to talk about Caleb at length. With Georgia, you mentioned if people think losing a 42-year-old quarterback doesn't matter, look at the New England Patriots, okay? (laughs) They're still reeling from that years later. So uh, I definitely don't discount that at all for Georgia. No, I want to get into Caleb Williams with you more at length here, but let's stick with where we're at. Maybe I missed it. I'll have to go back and read the column again. I don't I don't recall you giving me credit for my persuasive abilities on the car right over there, in there. But I read it quickly just one time, so I'll go back and look at it again. Um, no, you're right. The opportunity is out there, and you can call it coach speak, but what I've always appreciated about Riley is just how bluntly confident he is outwardly. I don't sense it's ever trying to sell anything. I think it's trying to set the tone for his program. I think teams take on the identity of their coach, and he is just a very confident person with good reason, very confident coach, and I think he believes everything he says. I think he does believe that USC could reset the balance of college football. I think he does believe in his purpose out here. People who always say, well, how long is he going to be there before he leaves for the NFL? I have always gotten the sense that this is a a long-term investment for him and that he respects his college football legacy so much that being the one to revive USC football would mean so much to him. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. So I take everything he says at face value, but mostly I take away the confidence he projects. And the line that I heard from media day that struck me was he said, these windows don't come around often. And he's talking about having the best damn player in the entire sport right now for one more year. He knows that. The entire staff knows that. This is not a, a CFP or bust season because it is only year two of a massive rebuild, and they will have more windows. They will have more chances. But you can't help but acknowledge the fact that they may not have a Caleb Williams again soon. or Who, who knows when? Ever? Ever? Ever. Yeah, And so I think they are treating this like uh, we need – to get into that playoff, we are we are good enough, we have the talent, we just have to capitalize and put it together. And so I'm with you. I, I think that they have as good a chance as anybody for that reason. I think he knows it and that's why he's talking as confidently as he is.
2: And a lot of a lot of really, really great observations there. So take another bow. Um yeah, <laughs> the yeah, well, where to begin, yes. I mean that's exactly right. And that, that was another thing to pick up on there. That was that was a strategic thing he said there, and I think a lot of the things he said were strategic. And I think a lot of the things Caleb Williams said were strategic, which I, I pointed out in the story I wrote about him. You know, Caleb's up there on the stage, and he looks like he would rather be anywhere, and you know, anywhere else but on that stage with with the nice folks from the Pac-12 Network and uh, and his buddy Mason Cobb. I assume they seem like they're friends, anyway. They, um anywhere but there, but he's up there, and when he when he gets this little moment, he he drops this, you know. We gotta, you know, we got we've been working to make sure that we're, you know, preparing him and ready and physically ready or whatever that he was talking about specifically about, you know, fifteen games. And so then I went back similarly with him and just made made sure I was I was right this to, to notice that that, that that number was used. Well, only two teams play fifteen games in the college football season and that's the last two. And that's where Caleb Williams obviously, like anyone else, wants to be. But the fact that, that he's saying that. And then Lincoln, Lincoln steps forward into this stuff. You know, it was, I was thinking about like, okay, when Clay would get the inevitable, you know, media day, yo, the pressure's on, it's a must win season questions. Clay would just like kind of just recite sort of what he thought, you know, was, you know, that's what we welcome us while we come to USC. Oh boy. You know, this, you know whatever and, it, and I, you know, I think that was the right response for him to do. But but I know it's a little different when it comes from Lincoln, and he's a little um, more a little more polished with it. But but yeah, that he just Lincoln steps into this stuff, and he um, one of the things that I really enjoy in listening to him talk is you know he comes off like a almost like a like a college football fan, you know, in the in the way he talks about the sport, and it's clear like. He's not just a student of the game and the X's and O's and the air raid I mean he's a student of the whole thing and what it means and what it means to different regions and what why college football is special you know he is into that stuff and it's he talks about it in a way where it's it doesn't feel like hokey when he says the things because it's like it's like well studied and and so the fact that he uh, you know, in other words, it's like that, he fully leans in when someone asks him about the Big Ten and the excitement of that. He 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 is obviously very excited to take his team into those new venues and be a part of this first chapter and this major shift in college football history. You know that Lincoln is going to be coaching that. That he he relishes that he's a part of the history, and he relishes that you know. These are the last games USC is going to be playing in the Pac-12 and, and some of these venues. the la- Maybe the last time, you know how these things go, things are bitter. This may be the last time USC plays at outson Stadium. I mean, as crazy as that is to say, I mean, you just know how these things go. You know, and I think those are, he like cares about that stuff and, he's, and he leans into it and he he's not trying to do the coach speak of, Oh, it, you know, it's everything's just well, the most important games. Is the game that's first on our schedule? We're thinking about San Jose State. No, Lincoln's so confident that he could step past all of that and kind of perfectly put his own time as USC's coach into historical perspective as it's happening. It's just a, it's just so fun listening to him talk.
0: As someone who spent a decade and a half plus waiting through coach speak at various uh, places from various mouths. I never think he's giving coach speak. I really don't. And, and, and what I've appreciated most in covering him is the thoughtfulness he gives to every question he's asked. He tries to give a great answer. Now, he may not love the media thing as much as other people. There may be some less access these days than there what was in the past. But when we get time with him and you ask him a question, I never feel I'm getting coach speak or just a, a rehearsed refrain it's always okay what's what's the most authentic thorough answer I can give right now and, and that goes whether he's on stage at Pac-12 media day or he's talking to us goofs after practice on a Tuesday now I won't get into the nitty-gritty of the defense with you I know you haven't broken down the third team uh cornerback battles <laughs> yet just yet like I have but we'll have Antonio Morales on and we can do that with him and get into all that But I will just say that I I am not necessarily more of a believer in Alex Grinch than anybody else in in the fan base. I just didn't make my verdict after year one because I knew all along, I knew from listening to them week in and week out, it started out by having to read between the lines and became more and more overt as the year went along, that they were basically saying, we do not have what we need to compete defensively this year. Alex French, one of his more telling comments last year, I forget just how he said it, but it was near the end of the year when frustration was just really mounting. And he basically said, "You want every day at practice to mean something and, and to be players that have to earn their spot on Saturday. But the reality is, we can say that, but if you don't have a player that can legitimately replace another guy in the lineup, then you really can't enforce that. You can say if you don't have a good practice today, you're not starting Saturday. But when there's no one else to start there, then there's really no competition uh, to enforce. And then after the spring game, we finally got the most uh, pure answer from Riley on that, where he said, look, I mean, we, we all knew that last year what it was defensively. We just didn't have the depth, especially in the front seven. And it was what it was. So while most of the fan base is out on Alex Grinch and not just out, but like aggressively out, you're, on Twitter or X, Do we call it X now. Whatever, who knows? I'm not out. I'm not necessarily in either. I just knew that last year wasn't the year to make the verdict or the evaluation. Everyone has fashioned this as, "Oh, Lincoln's too loyal to his buddies. He can't make the tough decisions." He and Alex Grinch aren't necessarily like BFFs. Okay, there are guys on Lincoln's staff who are his buddies. Dennis Simmons, who has been in his life for 20-plus years, is his buddy. Benny Wiley is his buddy. Dave Emmerich, the general manager, associate athletic director, is his buddy. He's known Alex Grinch for for six years, five years, whatever it is. He clearly believes in his ability, and he saw it. And if you go through Grinch's record, I mean, there's ups and downs, but but there are good seasons in there. What he did at Washington State, the best defensive season they've had in recent memory. Unless you're in it every day with someone, the team, you don't know what what happens behind the scenes to cause outcomes. I know from talking to Grinch that he basically told me that their last year at, at Oklahoma, there was just some attitude problems and 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 people had just started to tune out the coaching and they weren't on the same page. So it wasn't like he knew what he was doing the first year there and then was all of a sudden clueless his third year. So There's are factors of things. And so clearly, Lincoln Riley has evaluated all those factors and believes this is the guy that he trusts the most. I do believe if they have a bad season defensively, I mean, this is the year now to evaluate. This is a fair evaluation. because so they, like you alluded to, they beefed up all the weak areas. They beefed up the interior defensive line with Bear Alexander and Keon Bars. They brought in a ton of edge rushers. We'll see which ones end up proving themselves on Saturdays. But they bought themselves, like, eight lottery tickets to hit on a few guys. They beefed up at linebacker Mason Cobb and Tackett Curtis, the true freshman. He's going to play. He's going to be a factor. So they have the depth they didn't have last year. They have the pieces. Remember, last year they were down two linebackers for a stretch late in the year, and they were having to play Tule, to out of position. They were having to play mm-hmm. six defensive backs and one linebacker just to accommodate. They didn't have depth. They have depth yeah. now. So you can, you can fairly evaluate Alex Grinch this year, and we'll see. I'm open-minded. I'm not decided. I'm open-minded, and we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, and and I am too. I, I didn't have a, a verdict. You know, I watched a lot of the games last year. Um, you know, I, I didn't – what jumped out to me is early on in the season, they looked – you know, a lot better. Obviously the last the season before was a total train wreck for many reasons. So it's hard to, you know, say, oh well they look better. us because of Alex Crunch. But but I think like clearly they took on an identity where they were they were ball hawking, trying to create turnovers, take advantage of what they did have, which was, you know, some 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 uh, obviously great pass rusher in Thule and I think some some speed and some spots on the field where they could get to, to make plays. Um, You know, and they were, they had a kind of identity about them. And then I think the year went on. This is, this is from afar. Yeah. You correct me if I'm wrong, but I just think they ran out of steam because of the depth issues. Exactly. And so, so you can make easy, you can make excuses for Grinch or or just stay in the middle. But I think like there had to be some aspect to, you did all this transition in year one. You know, everything had to be changed about the program. And they did it practically overnight. And they, you know, the seven win turnaround and, they, and knowing going in, you're making this evaluation. You have Caleb Williams coming back and you, you know that. I mean, so why are you going to introduce another transition? No. You know, why would you, so then you're, then you're doing the same thing with your defense again, new terminology, new coach to jive with. He's going to bring in a new you know staffer or two, you know, they were one game away from, I think, skipping five steps and and making the playoff you know they they weren't a playoff caliber team but they were about to make the playoffs so it's not it's very it's it's easy to see why he would not want to invite a needless a potentially needless transition into a season where they need everything on point streamlined toward that pac-12 title and, and taking that step with Caleb while, he, while he's still here. So uh, it all makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, the only thing I can't explain from last year is the Tulane game, the bowl game. That was an abomination, and I, I can't come up with a logical explanation for that. And so certainly uh, Grinch bears the brunt of the blame for that, and we'll see what the true takeaway is from that as it carries over. But title game versus Utah, if Caleb doesn't get hurt and the offense suddenly can't get first downs, that defense isn't going to be as bad as it was. Things just imploded upon it when the defense, which was already running on fumes, already thin at that point of the season, suddenly is getting no rest between series against a very good team, and seeing that star quarterback is severely compromised and things are turning against their favor, and it just kind of imploded. If you have a healthy Caleb in that game, not only do I think the outcome's different, but I think the defense doesn't have the struggles it had And obviously the defense struggled in both games versus Utah. So, again, not making excuses here. I'm just saying I'm going to go in with with a clean slate. And you made a great point, a point that I've made many times. The one thing that Grinch did last year is he gave that unit an identity, which it hadn't had in years, in years. All of a sudden, they were a legit, consistent, turnover sack machine. And that is Grinch's M.O. That's the first thing he... He says when he takes over a defense, he lays out the numbers. And I forget what the exact number is, but I had guys that were on his first Washington State team tell me this. I had USC guys tell me this. He comes in and says, if we get 31 turnovers this year, we're going to win at least nine games. Like he's done He's done all this math and analytics, and he believes that, that that all correlates. And so that's the identity he wanted to instill, and he instilled it. They were one of the best turnover-forcing teams in the country. And so take that as a major positive that his message was getting through. They may have had major holes and weaknesses otherwise that they couldn't overcome, but they did have an identity. If they can build on that and be a little tighter in the other areas, suddenly you have what you need, which is not a top 10 defense. You don't need that. You need like a top 50, 60 defense to be competitive because you're going to have a top five offense, if not top three, if not top one offense in the country. So just everyone just hit the brakes a little bit on, on the Grinch talk until the games start again. And, and also on the talk that, that Riley can't make hard decisions. The guy was literally handed a dream job at 35 years old by Bob Stoops. And a year and a half later fired Bob Stoops' brother as defensive coordinator because he had to. <laughs> okay. I, I'm pretty sure he can make the hard decisions and he's here to win, and if Grinch is that as bad as everyone thinks he is, not not me, but the Twitter mafia, then he'll make the change he has to make. Okay, let's get on to Caleb Williams, who you also wrote about, you also talked to. Much like his coach, Caleb is just very supremely, outwardly confident, as he should be. And he has not shied away at all from the narrative of having the chance to be only the second-ever two-time Heisman winner along with Archie Griffin from Ohio State way back when, he, he talks about it openly. He talks about it all the time. He talks about winning that second Heisman, about being back in New York this year. He talks about telling Archie Griffin he's going back to New York this year. He's not backing down from it. Obviously, he shouldn't. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on his chances because he will be, he will be evaluated on a different curve this year. As great as he was last year, he's going to have to be even greater to get that repeat vote, is, is my opinion. And I think he can be. Oh, yeah. I think he can be. But what do you reasonably think that his chances are to win a second Heisman? Well, I, I think they're
2: good. I think, you know, you look at it a year ago, I think they're better than Bryce Young's. You know, part of the reason being, you know, you're – I think that voters, they, they don't want – to vote for the same, it's like human nature. You don't want to vote for the same guy two years in a row. You, you know, that's not something you're hoping to do as a voter. So I think you have to wow them. You're right about that. He's going to have to be better. And, and for him, that's not, oh, cut down on your interceptions or whatever, which I also don't think he needs to do. I think his numbers on that were excellent. Um, It's, it's, it's like you got to win the Pac-12 and you, you need to uh, elevate USC. You, you know you you did a total magician's work in year one, but you've got to take take them to that next step. I'm not sure if they if they lose a couple games but win the Pac-12. I think he'll still be a very strong candidate. But if they if they go 12 and one or obviously undefeated, you can give them the award. But 12 and one and, and they make the playoff, you can um you can give them the award. I mean, I just think it's it's going to be about. Did you return USC back to? Did you get them to that first playoff? Um, so it's it's all very much attainable. And another reason w- back to Bryce was Bryce had uh, he comes back, but you know also kind of came back last year with CJ Stroud. So you immediately a voter is going to be more bent toward well, you know, wanting to see CJ Stroud prove that this is his year to win the Heisman, or this is uh, you know, of course, Caleb Williams was also a guy that anyone who was paying attention knew. Was going to be in that mix as well. You look at the field this year, and again, Georgia, you know, usually the Heisman comes from these these schools, you know, the schools that are competing for the national championship. It's pretty rare somebody puts up such good numbers as a nine and three, eight and four team that that they win the Heisman these days. Um, Georgia, no one obvious, no returning quarterback. That's not the type of team they are anyway. You know, Alabama, we don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. None of those guys are world beaters. Uh, I think we know that about Tyler Buchner. you know, if he wins that job, the Notre Dame transfer. Alabama um, obviously has has good playmakers. But it's just I don't see an Alabama uh, Heisman winner this year. They lost Gibbs. You know, they don't have a returning stud. Their receivers were very, very not impressive last year. Ohio State, okay, here's one. All right, Marvin Harrison. That Marvin Harrison has the kind of year he could have, but we know how hard it is for a wide receiver to win the Heisman, he, he would have to absolutely just murder the record books and make just mind-numbing, you know, mind-blowing grabs that that really register. Um, Ohio State has to beat Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, you know, it's a it, the Heisman is a team award. Certainly they could be Michigan. Lord knows they've done it, what, you know, 17 or 20 times recently or whatever it is. Um, so that could happen. But at the end of the day, he's a wide receiver. You don't expect that. And, and then you're looking at Michigan. Michigan, they have Blake Corum. Running back is um, it's hard for a running back to win the Heisman. Corum's coming off an injury. He's going to be splitting carries with another top five back and Donovan Edwards. Last year was Corum's year, and, and he got hurt, and Caleb stormed uh to the finish line so i don't see that and so you just keep going down the list what is it north carolina drake may drake may is gonna you know are they gonna win the acc i mean no um kate klubnik from clemson is he gonna lead them to an acc title even if so people expect clemson to win the acc he'll just be returning them to what they're supposed to be doing um and he'd have to be excellent we haven't seen anything out of that offense in two years it's been Abysmal. So yeah, if they are suddenly a great offense, then then yeah, he'll he'll get some run. But none of these none of these guys compare to Caleb. It's not a great. It's not going to be a great field that we know of. He's in a great quarterback league. Phoenix, Knicks, all the guys you know there. But if he does, like I say, if he wins the Pac-12 and he's up there on the stage in Las Vegas holding up that trophy, you know, statement made. He's the best quarterback in a great quarterback league. Uh, See, so yeah, I think he's got a, as good a shot as as any of the guys who've ever tried to
0: do it. When I talked to him about about this, and again, this goes back to the the whole theme of confidence. He didn't even talk about just winning another Heisman. He talked about that he plays for immortality. He wants his football legacy to have immortality, and to do that, you have to do things that haven't been done before, and that's just the way he thinks and. I'll boil it down to a more simple takeaway. I think that he truly believes that not only is he the best player in the country, I think he believes he's on a different level than everybody else. I think he believes that he is just on a different plane of performance than anyone else out there. So, of course he should win that Heisman. Of course he should do all this. I mean, that's what he expects. And When I asked him how he could be even better this year, he mentioned – as you know, the interceptions. He goes, well, one is throw less interceptions, obviously. He threw five last year. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see if that's possible because, I mean, you, you can be perfect and have three or four fluke interceptions off receiver's hands. But um, it's going to be fun to watch. And, and just to wrap it up with Caleb and, and to wrap it up with our time here, I want you to tell me if I am just totally, just totally too close to the situation. If I'm, I've lost my perspective, if I'm, just, if I'm just spewing hyperbole here on the podcast airwaves, I think that he is the best college quarterback of my lifetime. And I couldn't even think of a true challenger to that claim. Obviously, Tim Tebow was a great leader, but I think we all know the limitations he had in skill set. That didn't manifest at the college level, but if you're just breaking down the full picture, uh, you know I, I'm as high on Bryce Young as as anybody, and I was absolutely not surprised at all to see his success at Alabama, where he's the number one pick. But I've never seen anyone like Caleb. I've never seen anyone consistently make all the throws, the throws at the most awkward of body angles, across cross body, twisting this way, throwing that way. Dropping the dimes downfield. One of the most telling plays in his season last year, his worst game was at Oregon State. His completion percentage was low. They struggled offensively. And yet he throws one of the best throws of the entire year The drop an absolute dime to Addison for the game-winning touchdown downfield. And it just that weapon is just always in his holster. Add in the running ability and and everything else, I think he is the best college quarterback of my lifetime and probably beyond. Am I missing anybody? Am I wrong? Set me straight.
2: No, I mean as you um, as you discussed it, I tried to move through my my Rolodex of QBs and uh, and yeah, no, it's um, he, he's 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 definitely the total package in a way that I don't think anyone else. Um, has been, you know, he's the, he's the closest thing to that, you know, Madden player you create, and you know, he's got you know ninety five plus in every category. You know, uh, he just, I mean, when you watched him Tebow play, you weren't, you didn't like, wasn't like nice to see him throw the football. You know what right. what I mean, right. I mean, it, and it wasn't that nice seeing him run it. He's just a big, big, angry dude who just pile over dudes, and you know he was in a scheme with urban Meyer that accentuated his gifts and didn't ask him to do that much as a passer. And, um, Caleb, Caleb can, as you know, it's an understatement can, can do it all in a way. I don't think you look at all the you know past winners and Lamar Jackson, obviously not the passer you know, Bryce young, obviously not the rum runner now great at creating time in the pocket, making plays, improvising, you know his own mag- magical qualities that helped him be the number one pick but but not in the package that physical package that, that caleb brings um yeah i mean he's um he's right to expect other worldly things and you know as i, I point out quite often when i end up writing about caleb because i just think it's funny it's like you know this, this guy's name his nickname he, is superman he actually accepts That is a as a nickname. So, in in high school or whatever, was Superman. So he, he, that's that's the way that he plays, and he's so good too that it didn't like, it didn't get USC into that into trouble last year very often. You know what I mean? Like he didn't like, he didn't try to, he didn't get them into trouble very often by overdoing it or, you know, trying too hard to make something happen. And like, like he's just that much better than everybody. So yeah, it's it's going to be. A lot of fun to watch him. And we have to assume that he's he's gonna be even more seasoned and 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 continue to do things that, that make your jaw drop.
0: I also don't recall the last time when it was a one hundred percent consensus on who the number one pick in the draft is before the previous draft even happened. Like entering the draft this spring, people were already saying, well, obviously next year Caleb Williams is the number one overall pick. And and no one is offering a counter-thought to that. It's just that much of a done deal. He would have been the number one overall pick in this draft if he had, could have come out. And I'll throw in one more anecdote that I just thought of that really speaks to everything we're talking about. At the Heisman ceremony in New York in December, there were a few media opportunities where there was just a, a gaggle of us reporters around each of the candidates throwing out a wide range of questions. and And someone... Asked Caleb about one of the NFL analysts, I forget who it was, comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. And the way this guy asked the question, you could tell that he was expecting Caleb to just, you know, spew reverence for Mahomes. Oh, my gosh, to be in the same breath as a guy like that. And instead, instead, Caleb goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't think he does anything I can't do already. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong he's not wrong it's not outrageous like it's he is the the next Mahomes in, in terms of the skill set and and maybe even more polished as a college player now putting it together at the next level yeah, is, is the next step I'm not going to diminish at all what Mahomes has done in the NFL and, and that would be hard to match for anybody but skill set wise it's a it's a nap comparison and it should be a very fun year and, yes, like Lincoln Riley said, these windows don't come along very often. Brady, we appreciate it. We we have many more windows to talk USC football with you this fall.
2: I hope so, man.
0: Okay, as promised, next on the podcast, back on the podcast, from The Athletic, Antonio Morales. Antonio, thanks for joining us again. How are you?
3: It's, it's all good over here, just getting ready for – USC campus start, it feels like it's been a while since uh, spring ball, and spring game and all that stuff, so uh, just getting ready for actual practice, and now that we're getting closer to the season, uh, just uh, trying to get in that mindset again.
0: Well, I'm in that mindset, I'm, I'm hyped, and how could you not be hyped listening to Brady McCullough predict the Trojans to the college football playoff in the last segment? I want to give you a chance, do you want to hop on that train, do you want to co-sign Brady's prediction? USC all the way to the CFP, or I know you tend to skew a little more cynical at times. What say you?
3: Uh, I, I can't co-sign right now. I think i I've, ever since the schedule came out last year, I've thought uh, uh, ten and two. I can be talked into eleven and one, and if they go eleven and one, I can see them going to a comfortable playoff. But I think I'll lean more towards ten and two right now. Uh, some of the road games are hard at Notre Dame, at Michigan, uh, at Oregon. And uh, just that second half of the schedules is pretty brutal, in, in my opinion. Just uh, uh, Notre Dame, Utah, obviously they have Cal in that mix. Then uh, Oregon, Washington, UCLA. Uh, that's going to be tough to go through with just one loss or to go through cleanly. Um, so I, I, I can see 10-2. and two. I, I think I, I voted them to win the Pac-12. Um, so I think they'll still win the Pac-12. I just don't know if they'll be a playoff. It's a Philadelphia
0: playoff team. Did you miss the part where they got Barry Alexander?
3: <laughs> I was there. I, I heard. All right. That no, was, right. a, a was around the day I went on paternity leave, but uh, you know, I, I
0: still saw. I always respect you keep us grounded a little bit. Got to, got to keep the hype in check. Let's go back to last weekend. We were both in Las Vegas, scorching hot Las Vegas, the surface of the sun, Nevada, uh, for Pac-12 yeah, Media Day. Wow, my car died. Yeah, I, I didn't talk about that yet. My my car stalled on me on the way home before I could even leave. Just wouldn't turn on, and the dashboard read one hundred and twenty seven degrees. I know it wasn't one hundred and twenty seven, but that was the car screaming out to me, saying it feels like one hundred and twenty seven, and I couldn't argue with it. I'm like, I know it does. I know it does. I sympathize. So I was stuck there until Sunday. It was too hot. Not as hot as the scorching takes that came from Pac-12 Media Day, though. Start there. Let's start with the takeaways from Pac-12 Media Day. What did you come out of that day, Friday, feeling like you had learned, gained insight on, had a different perspective on, was forefront in mind? What were your main takeaways?
3: Nothing really from a USC perspective.
0: (laughs) I know, there really wasn't much. Uh, I
3: was thinking like, oh, maybe there'll be something, but... Uh, nothing really from a, from a UFC perspective. Obviously, Lincoln talked a little bit about, uh, to a bunch of different reporters about the new performance center and the facilities and things like that. And, um, he said some things on, on, the, on those regards, but just not a whole ton. It was, it was weird just the fact that there wasn't much to talk about from a UFC perspective. I know everybody wanted to talk about Caleb Williams and stuff. but I think, um, I think if you're talking about the conference as a whole, I think that's just one of the main takeaways, and just how much excitement there is about the quarterback play uh this year. And I think, you know, just talking to national reporters and talking to people who are there, just how excited people are to watch these guys go at each other every other week You, know, you have Caleb versus Michael Penix and Caleb versus Bo Nix and um, Cam Rising. and He's won the Pac-12 two years in a row now, and he's new playing those guys too. Um, I just think the quarterback matchups are going to be fun to watch every week. And I think uh, from the perspective of the league, I think that's the thing to be really excited about. And obviously there was uh, a lot of talk about the TV rights and TV deals. And uh, it was just weird from a USC perspective because that's not going to affect them. Um, And uh, they're going to be leaving the conference in a couple months. So they don't have to worry about that. And so I almost kind of zoned out when – Klyavkov is getting all those questions about it uh, just because, I mean, it doesn't have any impact on the, what USC is going to do in the future.
0: I thought that Lincoln very deftly handled the question about whether it was bittersweet to him going through his final season in the Pac-12, you know, with all the years and years of memories he has from the conference and, and trips to Corvallis. I thought he answered it well, but I will say I, I do think there's a part of him that really wants that Pac-12 title not just because you always want the conference title but, but I think he wants to say that I was in the conference for only two years and we, and we won the league I sense that matters to him
3: yeah I thought one of the interesting things that Lincoln said and as Brady wrote about this over the weekend was just like what Lincoln said about how important USC is to the West Coast yeah uh, I think it's probably like the most interesting thing he or any of the USC reps said that day um, and just what they think about their place in the sport, and how much they matter to the West Coast, and it being relevant in the sport. I think that was kind of my biggest takeaway from it.
0: Yeah, and and you know the Oregon fans agreed with that take as well.
3: So.
0: <laughs> um, I have a few more bullet points here that I wrote down, just as takeaways, quick takeaways from Pac-12 media day. I'll see what you think. One, just the fact that Mason Cobb was selected as one of the two play representatives for USC, the defensive representative, having only been here a few months. And this isn't like last year when it was Riley's first year and and everyone was really new in, in a way. I mean, they have some returning players, but he chose Mason Cobb. I think that says a lot about the... The importance that they see Cobb playing this defense, the impact they see him having, not only as a starter but as as just a galvanizing force for what obviously was major weakness of this team last year. Uh, any thoughts on Mason Cobb getting that nod and, and what that meant?
3: Yeah, I just like you said, I think it says it speaks volumes about where they feel about his place in this defense, and I think. Listening to Mason talk, I know people were impressed with him at media day, but I remember the first time he talked in March or April, uh, I was impressed listening to him speak too. And I remember him saying the staff told him that they felt like they had a hole in this defense and they needed him to fill it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty telling about what they thought about the linebackers they had and, uh you know, what he could do. Um, So I think ever since then I've kind of had that thought in my mind, like, okay, they clearly are high on this guy, and um, they think he could be a missing piece to uh, kind of what their defense needed. So I, I think the signs have been there early on, and them taking him to the pac media day just confirmed, like, hey, they're clearly all in on on this guy and believe he's going to be a big part of this defense.
0: Yeah, and that being said about him feeling, being a missing piece and him not hesitating to say that, uh, when I talked to Cobb before they went on the main stage – uh, just you know, I asked him, you know, you've been here what six, seven months now, what's it been like settling in? And the his answer was really interesting. He didn't necessarily say he expected it to be different, but he said it's still a surprise to him that the way that the linebacker group has taken him in. Like guys that he's competing for playing time with, Shane Lee has been welcoming and, and uh and helpful to him, Eric Gentry, like there's been no tension at all, even though he is coming in and changing the dynamics of a room that brings back two starters. So I thought that was interesting. We'll see how he delivers on the field, but certainly a lot of intrigue there. A couple more bullet points that I had. You mentioned the Football Performance Center. I used almost all of my time with Lincoln. We all got little one-on-one sessions to talk about that. And I asked him one simple question of, you know what does it add that you are missing right now? And he went on for like four minutes and rattled off like 13 different reasons why it was essential. I tried to also get some clarity on the timeline and when it might come to fruition, and he didn't want to pay any kind of completion date, but he did say, I'll tell you this, it's going to be sooner rather than later, and we're moving aggressively forward, so that was the most noteworthy takeaway there, and I actually played that interview at the top of the show, so our listeners already heard most of what he said to me, but just the fact that he acknowledged that the perception around college football has been that USC's facilities were, were behind. I asked him if he was surprised when he got here in him for the first time, he goes. not No, but, you know, just being in a sport, you kind of know who has it and who doesn't. So that was an interesting acknowledgement of the perception nationally. And then uh, the fact that he thinks it's going to be on a fast-track timeline to get done.
3: And we were both at that House of Victory event, the uh, QBU. I thought it was interesting when he said uh, he, he took the USC job and he's having the conversations about taking the job. He wanted to make sure two things were in place. You wanted to make sure NIL was going to be like fully supported, and I think we going to get new facilities. So I think this has been something that's been on his mind since he took the job: um, this facilities and getting new ones. Because obviously USC like still shares the weight room with other sports, and that's something that's super super rare for a big time football program like like theirs. Uh, you rarely see you know, football program, share offices with, you know, share a building with, uh, other sports. I remember at Ole Miss, their football building was like completely separate from, uh, everything else. So it's just something you rarely see these days. And I know, uh, I, I know that's something they're going to work on. And need, I remember even in the latter part of Clay's years, they would be talking about how like they couldn't expand their recruiting staff because there wasn't enough office space mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, So it's something that's kind of been around the program and hovering around the topic. The topic's been hovering around the program for a while. So um, it's something USC needed, and obviously Lincoln realized that when he took the job, and it's been one of his biggest priorities since.
0: He also really emphasized to me, and this is something I didn't even think about, but just he goes, you don't realize how much the sport has changed in a very short amount of time. And the first thing he mentioned that he was excited about was the sports science stuff that they can do. And I don't even have a full grasp of what that means. I mean, he mentioned cryo chambers and and other things, but you know, really advanced stuff on on the on the recovery and the health side of things that they have tried to do as much as possible in the space they have. But he goes, you really have to have a building that was designed for that purpose. And the sports changed so much. I mean, the McKay Center is what eleven years old or whatever. Yeah, it's changed so much in that time that. Those are things that weren't on the radar then that, okay, we need space for this, we need space for that, but they are necessities now, and this will alleviate a lot of those concerns. I did not ask him about the AD search. I ran out of time, but you did. What was your takeaway about his thoughts on where things stand with that?
3: Uh, He said that, he he implied there's a lot of interest in the job, uh, which I thought was interesting. I asked him, have you been involved with those talks? And he said, here and there. But he says, you know, you talk to people in the profession and, you know, you, you get the sense there's a lot of interest in the job Or people people are really interested. And he talked about how, you know, the words he used, like the, the table is set. And uh, he said, like, the major sports that you see are on an upswing. Obviously, football is doing well. Men's basketball is doing well. Women's basketball is doing well. Baseball had a, a turnaround the season. So um, the new AD, whoever steps in there, is going to have a – all their sport, all their major sports, basically headed in a positive direction. He was like, the table's set. And he says people on the outside could see that too. So it seems like he believes there's a lot of interest in the job. And it, And we've talked about this before. It seemed like they struck out on some candidates as a long search when Mike Bone got hired, but it's much more of an attractive job now than it was four years ago. There's Lincoln Riley as the head coach. There's a move to a big 10, the, the TV contract money is going to be much higher than it was in the Pac-12. Um, and you have a spot secured in one of the top two conferences in the country. So I just think it's a much more attractive job now than, than it was four years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the hard work's done. I mean, in the current state of college athletics, it, there's really no time to rest with the evolving NIL situation, the transfer portal whatever is going to be the next new thing that changes the sport dramatically in, the, in a year or two. So I'm not saying you walk in and, and the job is done, but a lot of the hard stuff is done. I would think it would be as appealing as any job in the country at this point for that reason. And I know every, every AD wants to put their stamp on the program and make their signature higher, but there's a lot to be said of just hopping on the train that Lincoln Rowley's conducting right now and enjoying some uh, immediate success in your tenure. So I'll be very curious to see. There's been almost no buzz about yeah. candidates or anything lately, and I know they've done a good job in recent years of keeping things very in-house on these big hires, but there's not even a lot of like questions from fans or like a lot of scuttlebutt because I, I just think it's not as pivotal as it was when Mike Bone was hired because at that time it was, are we going to bring in someone that's going to fire Clay Helton? They're going to hire the next coach. They're going to do this and that. There's really just not much at stake immediately. So it's kind of under the radar right now. But I imagine we're getting close to some kind of development or news. It's been a few months now.
3: Yeah, it's been two months. And I think the last search lasted around two months. But this one's summertime. So people on vacation and all that other stuff. So uh, we'll see if it's before the season or before the school year or something. We'll see what happens with the timing and uh, all that is I just figured it was gonna be longer than the last search, uh just because there was that urgency in terms of this person's gonna need to make a decision on clay. So I think they kinda had to make a make a move uh within a couple of months for that last search, but this one they have more time.
0: And also the optics. The optics of vetting and making sure that they are thoroughly vetting the candidate and talking to every intern who's ever worked in the in the same uh, office. So I'm sure they're doing even extra due diligence. Anyways, what's more intriguing to me is the start of fall camp on Friday. We get USC's in-house media day Thursday where we talk to the assistant coaches and about half the roster. And then we dive right into fall camp at 6.30 a.m. Friday morning. Let's talk some camp storylines. and I'm going to break it down in the individual storyline and position group storyline, let's start with the individual storyline. Who was the most intriguing individual to you this fall camp?
3: Uh, I just think it's Bear Alexander just to see uh, what he can bring to this defense. USC, yeah, ever since J.T. Fedele and Marlon two, two left, they've just lacked size and athleticism up front. And they haven't had someone like Bear Alexander in a while. Uh, uh, I want to go back to rewatch some Georgia games and like he was in the game. He was in like the rotation, like in the final minutes of that Ohio State game. He was in the rotation against TCU. He was someone who played for that Georgia defensive line, the national champs. And that's a stacked defensive line. So it's not like this dude wasn't playing in Georgia or something. He was going to be a critical part of their defensive line this year. And so USC didn't have someone of that talent level uh, on the defensive line last year. Obviously, two, two below two is good. But that's more of a motor you know, high effort kind of guy than just a pure uh, talent. And uh, so I'm, intriguing, I'm intrigued to see what he brings to this defense. And I, I want to see how Alex Grinch gets all four of those defensive linemen. Bear, Bars, Sullivan, and Lucas. I want to see how he gets them all on the field. Um, I know they can move Sullivan around and Lucas is playing rush. And I want to see maybe does he go for or down defense alignment more um, Mm. this camp or something and see what they do and if they do anything different with the defense just because they have more size and speed now.
0: Yeah, Bear's definitely the answer to that question and also comes with a lot of questions. We talked to him Thursday. I want to know what kind of prompted him to leave Georgia because as you mentioned, he was on track to be a major factor there or at least his first year usage indicated that. And we haven't talked to him since he arrived. I know he did YouTube interviews and stuff with some of his associates. But uh, I think it'll be the most interesting interview we get Thursday. My honorable mentions for top individual storyline were Emmanuel Pregnon, the offensive guard from Wyoming, and Deuce Robinson, of course, the five-star pass catcher, position undefined, and just seeing how they fit in. I asked Lincoln about Deuce, and he said they've been playing them all over the place so far, just through summer workouts. Sure, it seems like he'll be more of a a receiver than a tight end, but we'll see what happens there.
3: He's been listed as a receiver.
0: Right, yeah. the, The roster came out, and he was listed as a receiver, so that was pretty telling. And then Emmanuel Pregnon, really interesting. Riley made it clear that you know there's nothing guaranteed there. He has to battle Gino Quinones for that. That job and that Gino had a, had a great spring and a strong summer, and so that there's a real competition there. I think everyone's penciled in Pregnon in that spot. But it's also worth noting he's not a one year rental per se. I mean, this is a guy that they can develop and, and have for beyond just plugging a hole this season. And Riley kind of noted that he, he needs some development still, and he's still kind of on the upswing of what he can be. But the best insight I got on Pregnon from pac 12 Media Day was from Caleb Williams. When I asked him about him. He goes, "Yeah, he's a tough guy. We, we all went to play paintball, and he shows up wearing a tank top, and it's just taking just taking shots to the to the skin all day." Wow. Um, so we'll talk to him as well on Thursday, and definitely another intriguing newcomer. But Bear Alexander is the answer because everyone has already assumed that he is going to be a transformative difference maker up front.
3: I, I know you're excited for Thursday. It's for Lake Browns on the schedule. All those interview requests you put in last year, now you finally going to talk to him.
0: I'd like to think that my diligence and consistency of requesting Relique Brown every single week has led us to this point where he is now speaking to us at, at this minute a uh, day.
3: I saw some uh, Oklahoma fans on Twitter like making fun of the fact that Relique is listed as like a receiver now, but I mean, this has always been the plan of him playing with a slot um, like ever since... He signed with USC is like, oh, he's not going to be every-down back. They're going to play him in the slot. Now the fact that – so I'm just surprised now that, like, not just Oklahoma fans, but, like, some SC fans are like, what's this mean, him playing slot? Like, this is always the plan. Um, This was something they were always going to do with him because he can catch so well. They're going to put him in the slot just because, you know, he's not built like a prototypical running back.
0: Antonio, I would caution you to not spend too much time reading Oklahoma fans on Twitter. It's not good for your health not healthy it's not productive but to your point yeah you know i was surprised that in high school that really was not used as a pass catcher more his receiving stats were were very limited because my first introduction to him was not watching him at mallard day it was watching him at these summer camps and the opening and seeing him on the camp circuit and he couldn't be stopped out of the slot like he won every one on one rep uh, with his speed and he has great hands so it, it definitely seems like the spot he should be at. Now, I still think he's going to be used in a variety of ways. I think he will get carries every now and then in a design play. I think he'll get jet sweeps and all kinds of things. If we were talking, my most intriguing storyline for the entire season, it's how Lincoln Riley finds a way to leverage having Raleigh Brown and Zachariah branch on the same field, maybe throw in Deuce Robinson there just with the height advantage. and, all these just elite weapons that having even one of them would seem to be a massive advantage, and he has several on top of you know your your standard playmakers like singer and rice and and on and on. but are they going to find a way to, to truly leverage the full value of having multiple guys that do just elite things like those two, especially?
3: I'm I'm interested to see how they're going to keep everyone happy um, this year with the touches. It would be – Caleb spreads the ball around a lot, uh, but I'm really curious to see how they'll distribute, you know, the touches uh, during the season.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, whenever I go to write about the position group, I once again find myself just totally forgetting Taj Washington, who I forgot last year, and he emerges as the third best receiver on the team. So you can't write him off. Yet you expect Dorian Singer to be one of the best receivers in the Pac-12. You expect Mario Williams to take a leap forward, both in usage and production. You wonder if Brendan Rice can bottle up what he had in the Cotton Bowl and do that more often. You have Zachariah Branch. You have Relique. You have all these pieces. You have guys like Michael Jackson III who are really intriguing if they ever get used. They will not be able to keep everyone happy, but guys will get hurt throughout the year and Opportunities will arise, and we'll see what happens. But very deep group, very deep group. Which brings us to the most intriguing position group for fall camp. And I'm very curious as to what you choose. I think it might be different than mine. What have you?
3: I think I'm going to go with the DBs. Ah!
0: (laughs) Stealing my thunder. Go go ahead. Uh,
3: Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the DBs just because I I think the corner competition is going to be really interesting. This camp, there's a lot of talented guys they have there. I think the staff's high on Jacoby Covington. Uh, Lincoln Riley's constantly praised Sierra Wright and his development over the past year. He did it last year, he did it in the summer, or he did it in the spring. He, he's really high on what on the work that Sierra's done. And there's Damani, and Damani still has. He, he took his time last year to come back from um, his injury, and he had to recover from that. Uh, we'll see if uh, his confidence and uh, his, you know, confidence in that knee is uh, better and if he's kind of knocked that rust off during training camp. And there's Christian Roland Wallace who they brought in to, to play kind of like a, like a second kind of Makai Blackman kind of uh, an experienced corner who spent plenty of time in the Pac-12. So I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. I think if you ask me today, it'd be Jacoby Covington and Sierra Wright as the front runners, but you know, there's a whole month before the season starts to kind of get a, a glimpse or a grasp of what the staff thinks and uh, uh, what's going to happen at nickel. I know Max Williams started there, but will it be him or Jalen Smith? And can those two be more productive this year? And I think Kalen Bullock and Zion Branch are going to start at safety. Uh, Kalen Bullock and Bryson Shaw are going to start at safety, but I'm kind of curious to see what Zion Branch can do and if he can crack that rotation. So, um you know, they recruited the D P spot so strongly over the past couple of years, I'm kinda of interested in seeing, you know, what how that unfold how those competitions unfold this year.
0: Yeah, I'm hundred percent on the same page. I have some more thoughts before I do, let me ask you about something you said there. You think that Jacoby Covington has the edge over Christian Roman Wallace?
3: Yeah, I do. I just think uh, you know, his size and you know, his athleticism is something they clearly value. And when we talked to Grinch about him in the spring, I, I think it was in the spring or it was last year, I forget what it was, but we asked him about Jacoby Covington and he said, yeah, like we, he is a guy we brought in to start, we brought him to play. And obviously it took us some time to get things down, but by the end of the year, he was starting and, um, you know, he's physically impressive. Yes. Um, tall big lanky i think if there was somebody i was sure in starting i think i think if you would ask me in the spring who i was most sure was going to start i'd tell you jacoby and then the other spot would be up for grabs but uh he missed some of spring so uh, after he got a lot of praise um but uh you know i, I think he'd, he'd still be a front runner in my in my mind
0: well it's interesting because and and i have tried to make this point throughout everyone has just assumed that Christian Roland Wallace is Makai Blackman this year and I think that's a a big leap to make given that Makai Blackman became an NFL draft pick and had a huge season I know Christian Roland Wallace started four years in Arizona but he started four years on bad defenses I don't know that we know for sure what he is in this defense and so I've had those questions throughout this is not to to knock him or say that he's not going to be good. I I just don't know yet. I'm just not going to fight him in Sharpie as a guy. Now, I still thought he was the favorite, but you make a compelling case for Covington. And, I mean, man, Covington is is one of those guys on that list of guys who walk off the bus and make an impression just physically. I mean, and it seemed like when he showed up in the spring, it was even noticeably advanced from where he left off last season. So I wouldn't be surprised at all there. Sierra has gotten so much praise. For a guy who lost his job down the stretch last season to Covington, seemed to just really take that in stride and and use that to drive him through the offseason, through the spring. So I almost feel like he's the most likely to have a starting role personally. And then we'll see what happens with the other spot. Domani is the ultimate wild card. I mean, you can't forget he's a five-star guy that he tied the California state record and track, and he has all these impressive physical tools. Now, I've always said this, that... I didn't think that he was a fully polished product coming out of high school. He was an elite athlete. He had this elite blend of size and speed that he had since he was a freshman, which is when he kind of became, oh, my gosh, this is going to be one of, one of those elite national guys in his class. But I didn't necessarily ever think I was watching a dominant shutdown cornerback when I went to Mother day games or when I watched him in some seven-on-seven. I just didn't think he was all the way there yet. So I've always thought that he was more—he was kind of a projection potential guy. And losing so much time to injury certainly just stalls that process. We, we've seen it so many times. When you lose that time, you have to make it up for it. You, you don't just you know, get credit for that time if you weren't practicing. So I don't know what he'll be this year, but I would say whatever he is this year, I still would not use that to levy a verdict on his long-term future with the program. Then you mentioned the safeties, and yeah, I I think if Zion Branch can slide himself into a timeshare or a starting role there, the ceiling for this defense goes up. Remember, this is a former top 100 prospect, a guy that we thought might compete for a job as a true freshman last year before he tore his ACL. Uh, Just an impressive, impressive athlete. And we know that Alex Grinch loves Bryson Shaw. He has a lot of loyalty with Shaw, a lot of trust in him, I should say. And so Zion's going to have to earn whatever he gets, uh, if it gets if it's going to come at Shaw's expense. But definitely one to track there. And then and then the other guy we didn't mention was Traquan Fagans, the Alabama transfer. He's listed as a cornerback on the roster, but Riley told me that they, he's worked exclusively at safety and nickel so far this summer. He, he still could be a cornerback, but they've started him out at safety and nickel, so Um, A guy that didn't obviously get a lot of opportunity at Alabama, so we don't know what he is beyond that he was a highly-rated recruit and he was at Alabama, and those factors alone make him intriguing, but don't know how he fits into the mix this year. So I think across the board in that secondary, there's very few sure things. There's a lot of potential, a lot of competitions. Aside from Kalen Bullock, there's nothing that I'm absolutely sure about. And so yeah. I agree with you. It's the most intriguing position group for fall camp.
3: Yeah. And I think Lincoln mentioned this in the spring. I think it's been clear to the coaching staff, but they want more production from that nickel group, too. Um, Jalen Smith wasn't the most consistent player last year, and uh, Max Williams had some rough moments and at the nickel. I think they just want more production from that group. And I think he, I think I remember correctly. I think he implied in spring that they're going to try somebody else out over there too. I don't remember if that was revealed, like who it was. I remember him implying like, Hey, we might bring somebody else over there too. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens with that position too, because it's a, it's a critical part of their defense. It's, uh, it's in the mix a lot, whether it's pass or the pass defense or coming up the tackle and run. Uh, supporting that. So uh, we'll see what they get out of that position too.
0: I asked him in one of our last Zooms in the spring about the state of the nickel spot, and he praised Latrell McCutcheon at that time, who's no longer in the the program. So I definitely think they were open-minded to trying out new pieces there and not feeling beholden to anything. So, yes, very intriguing in the whole back of the defense, which to me has been the biggest question for this team. I think they answered a lot of their questions at linebacker, uh, we didn't even mention Tackett Curtis, but I just have a feeling he's going to have a role as a true freshman, especially as the season goes along. So you add Curtis, you add Cobb in there. I think that's solved a lot of things at linebacker, especially if Gentry's healthy. And adding Bear Alexander Keon Bars in the middle of the def- defensive line, plus all the guys they brought in on the edge, that leaves to me the secondary as the biggest question. Okay, last category to get set for spring Who is the player who is not getting enough attention, who is the most under-the-radar right now that probably deserves to be talked about more entering camp?
3: Hmm. i have to think on this one.
0: Well, you've stolen my answer on the first two, so if you want me to go first, I'm happy to.
3: You can go first.
0: Okay. To me, it's Braylon Shelby, the freshman outside linebacker, well, rushed in, we call them, from Texas, one of the top-ranked recruits in their last class, one of the absolute top defensive prospects they brought in, a major recruiting battle won against Texas last year. And if you are inclined to perusing social media and have seen some of the pictures and videos posted of him in summer workouts, he looks like he is uh, getting ready for the NFL draft. Physically built, he's ready for this season, physical standpoint. I just think there's so many wild cards at that rush-in spot. I, basically, the way I, I've been phrasing it whenever I talk about it is I feel like USC bought themselves a handful of lottery tickets, and they just need to hit on a couple of them. Yeah. So whether that ends up being Anthony Lucas and Romello Height, whether it ends up being Jameel Muhammad and Braylon Shelby, just they need a couple of those guys to hit and be – consistent pass rush threats and, and take those snaps i think lucas is the most likely for sure i think i mean I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to be an impact guy this year but then who's that next guy and with every guy on that list there's as many questions as there is potential Romelo height was supposed to be that guy last year and missed almost the whole season with a shoulder injury we still don't know what he is jameel muhammad is this intriguing athlete that was a quarterback when he started in college and has matriculated down to this rush-in spot here now at USC coming from Georgia State. But how ready is he? And you, you just go down the list. Braylon Shelby's a true freshman. So I, I'm going to say it's not going to happen immediately for him. But I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season he is in that rotation, he is making plays because he looks the part. He has the, the recruiting pedigree. And I just think it's a wide-open spot for anyone to carve out their role in the, in the rotation.
3: Uh, one person that comes to mind for me personally, it's like, cause we just talked about the secondary, not mentioning him, but Christian Pierce.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I meant to mention him. Go ahead.
3: The, the coaching staff was really high on him in the spring. And he was someone who kind of flew under the radar in the recruiting process, but it was, it was clear he impressed people, um, impressed the staff, impressed Alex Grinch, uh, during the spring. And, um, you know, it's impressive teammates, too, just the way he was hitting out there and all that stuff. He's a guy who uh, Lincoln Riley praised during spring just for, you know, his toughness and as a true freshman and uh, what he showed. So I think he's someone who's kind of flying under the radar. And, um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he came in and, like, earned, like, a second-team spot over somebody like uh, a Beavers or a Gordon or something. Right. The guys have been around the program for years. So I think what he showed in the spring – is promising for his like long term potential
0: with this program. Yeah, he had a big spring game and another true freshman that looks like he's not a true freshman. And I don't know if, if you just credit, you know, him coming in that way, or if that's a reflection of Benny Wiley in the strength program that they have a few of these guys looking really ready to play uh, immediately. Whether that happens or not is you know a lot of factors go into it, but physically they they look the part as true freshmen. And Christian Pierce is definitely one of them. Well, we'll be doing this plenty of times during the season. We just want to give you a little primer for fall camp. And I'm sure we can get Antonio back on here in the middle of camp to see how well we did with our uh, expectations and prognostications and, and take stock of things then. Antonio, as always, we appreciate your time. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. There it is. That's the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that. I hope we covered everything that you were interested in as everyone gets ready for the start of fall camp. And I hope that we got you, yes, I'm going to say it again, amped for camp. I encourage everyone to be on Trojansports.com really every day moving forward from now because it's going to be just a nonstop deluge of content coverage. But Thursday would be a good day to be on there with the USC in-house media day and all the interviews we will have, both video interviews for you to watch, stories for you to read, Notes for you to devour, etc., etc. And then Friday, the start of the fall camp. Again, they will be out there at six thirty in the morning, Friday, and so will our team. We'll be out there. We'll have full coverage, and that'll be kind of the kickoff to what should be a very, 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 very eventful, interesting, compelling handful of months ahead of USC football coverage on Trojansports.com. As always, thank you for listening. Many more podcasts ahead as we are just getting going as well.